the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. All of us, from time to time, have struggled with within our Christian walk, and that is hearing the voice of God. Um, We are told in John 10 and 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And for all of us that say, gee, I... I just wish I could hear God's voice more distinctly in life. It would be great if there was the loud, thundering, booming voice out of heaven that shakes you to your innermost being. And yet more often than not, when God speaks, he speaks with that still, small voice. Why is that exactly? Well, our next guest has written a book on the very topic called Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere, newly published by Kriegel Publications. And its author, our guest today, he is the founding director of Kids of the Heart, author of a number of other best-selling books, including Is Sunday School Destroying Our Kids? Samuel Williamson, great to have you on the program. Hi, Craig. Thanks very much for for welcoming me. I really appreciate it. It would be great if God spoke in this loud, thundering, booming voice that we could know instantly. Aha! There is the voice of God instructing me and making the right choices and decisions along life's highway. But in fact, God chooses other methodology. We know certainly that he can speak to us through his word. He can speak to us through others. But that sense of hearing that still, small voice directly inform ourselves. That seems to be elusive for a lot of Christians. Why is that? I think it is elusive, but I think part of the reason, Craig, is because people have this expectation that God only speaks to, you know, the high and mighty, the saints, you know, you know, uh, St. Francis of Assisi or Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. And I think it's a false expectation because I think Scripture is very clear when you look at all the heroes of the faith and, and, their, and their foibles. I I think it's very clear that God speaks to us because of his greatness and not because of our greatness. And and we can have a confidence because his greatness is so great and our greatness is so small. But he he speaks to us because of his greatness. All right. So toward that end, then, um, part of it then has to do with our sense of, of, of perspective on our relationship. If God is speaking to us in and out of his greatness, uh, that would also require me to understand the nature of or the balance of the relationship that I have with God, would it not? It absolutely does. And, you know, the scripture is filled with metaphors. 
that God himself uses to teach us about our relationship with him. And he says that we are the sheep, he is the shepherd. He says that we are the servants, he is the master. We're the subjects, he is the king. But it also says we are the children, he is the father. You know, it breathtakingly intimately, he says we are the spouse and he is the bridegroom. But every one of these metaphors is a human relationship. And, you know, Craig, the essence of relationship, if you think of your, uh, of your family, of your spouse, of your friends, the essence of relationship is communication. And it's two-way communication. And I think when we read scripture, scripture overflows with the idea of God wanting to speak to us, wanting us to recognize his voice. It's, it's the essence of Christianity, a relationship with God. And I think God promises and mm, invites us to have a, a, a communicative, a, a, a conversational relationship with him. All right, now let's talk about that because that suggests, as you talk about relationship, and anybody I think with with half a mind understands that in order for there to be any success in a relationship, there needs to be that sense of give and take, and that's true of marriage relationships. It's true if you want to get along with uh, with your siblings or get along with your uh, your offspring. Uh, but with that said, it, it it it's kind of a curiosity in that uh, so often when we we think about conversation with God, what we really think about or engage in is monologue. And yet what God wants is dialogue. So it's not just a matter of, of God hearing from us and usually our laundry list of all the things that we want or our complaints, but then hearing back from God in return. And I think a lot of people find getting into that place where we have a sense that it's not a monologue, but rather a dialogue with God, that seems to be elusive because it requires a on us as well to be listening as well as talking. Absolutely, Craig. Absolutely. And I would say that the few times that we especially want to hear him is the big times of decisions in our life. Like, you know, should I become a doctor or a lawyer or a business person? Should I become a radio host? You know, or should I marry this person or that person? I think that we're, we typically mostly hope for God for the major decisions of our life. But Craig, I don't know about anything about your relationship with your father or your parents, but but let me ask you a question of your fondest memory of your parents. Uh, you know, if you can think back over your whole life, was it times that they lectured to you or was it times that they just talked to you? Oh, I think it's very clear. I mean, all of us remembering our, our childhood years recall a lot of lectures. Uh, and yet, as, as profound as those moments <laughs> might have been, uh, my, my dad, who, uh, who went to be with the Lord, I still, at 8 o'clock on Sunday evenings, pause, and there's that sense of, of uh, that gap. Because yeah. while we talk throughout the week at various times, uh, 8 o'clock Sunday evening seemed to be the time when the week was over with, the weekend was over with, and we had a chance to get on the phone for a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it took, and just dialogue, just converse back and forth and he'd tell his stories and I would tell mine and and I, I cherish those moments probably more so than the lectures <laughs> of course absolutely and mine's the same way my dad and I you know high school might have been a little tougher but I mean I for, for, for 30 years my dad and I had a wonderful conversational relationship and 
And that's what I remember. And even with my wife, you know, my wife and I, we, we went on our 30th anniversary to Italy a few years ago. But really, the, the heart and soul of our relationship is when we just sit after dinner and have a cup of coffee and talk together. And it's not even, you know, earth-shattering discussions. It's just normal discussions. And I believe this is what God wants for his people. In fact, how are we going to recognize God's voice? In, in, in the storm of a terrible decision, if we haven't learned to recognize his voice in the calm wind of a, you know, a, an evening breeze, mm. we, we really need to recognize God's voice in a conversation. If we're going to learn to recognize his voice in those very desperate times when we have to make a hard decision. There is a reason why, and, and God certainly in his infinite power could choose to use the loud, thundering voice from the heavens, as we all uh, sort of think of, you know, VR experience in the movies. And yet God, I think, purposefully has chosen to instead speak through, as we see articulated in Scripture, through the still, small voice. And I'm going to ask you why you think that is and what we can learn from that when we come back to more of our conversation. Samuel Williamson with us today. The book, Hearing God in conversation, how to recognize his voice everywhere. The new book, by the way, newly published by Kriegel Publications. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as you can order directly through Samuel's website at beliefsoftheheart.com. A brief time out. Back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are back to our conversation, and Samuel Williamson, our guest today, his new book, Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere. Now, Samuel, God being God, he can choose to communicate by any means he desires. We'll recall a time when he chose to communicate through a burning bush, as uh, Moses had the experience. Uh, we, We know that he could open up the heavens with a thunderous voice. But instead, for the most part, for most believers, um, rather than the loud, thundering voice that we would know as it shook us to our very core that it was clearly the voice of God, instead God chooses to speak in that that still small voice, as Scripture tells us. Why is that? Is that is that? It's got to be. God is a very purposeful God. There's got to be a reason behind that. I think there's two reasons, Craig and. I think the first is, we're all familiar with the passage in First Kings, I think it's 19, but it might be 20, where God speaks to Elijah out of a still small voice. But the background of that is, Elijah's just been involved in one of the greatest miracles God does in the Old Testament. You know, there's this big contest between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God, Elijah, and Elijah builds this. You know, he puts he puts together an altar and he puts together the wood on it. He puts a sacrifice on it, and God sends a fiery bolt down from heaven, burns up the sacrifice and the wood and the water and the stones and even the earth, and nobody changes. I mean, Elijah is expecting the people to rise up against Ahab and Jezebel. You know, if not rise up, at least he's expecting some some protesters out front saying, we want the Lord, you know, we want the Lord. But nothing happens. And, And Elijah becomes terribly depressed, and he goes down to Mount Sinai. And that's where, it's very interesting, God says, 
an earthquake came by, but there was no, but God was not in the earthquake. A whirlwind came by, and God was not in the earthquake, in the whirlwind. And a fire came by, and God was not in the fire. And the thing that's so funny is that when God spoke to Moses, he spoke out of the fiery bush. So we spoke out of fire. When God spoke on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel, he spoke out of an earthquake. And when God spoke to Job, he did speak out of a whirlwind. So it's not that God doesn't speak in those things. But I think the deliberate contrast with this huge, spectacular miracle and not changing people's hearts is part of God's point when he finally says, and then God spoke in a still small voice. I don't think the spectacular changes us, Craig. I mean, I wish I could say if I had something spectacular would change me, but I really think it's the still, small, quiet, conversational voice of God every day that changes my heart. And, and I would think the big miracles do, but you know, Jesus did all kinds of miracles and the Pharisees didn't change their minds. And, and so I, I really do think God is saying, there's a part of us humans, maybe us humans in the Western world especially, there's a part of us that wants the spectacular and the miraculous. And I believe in the spectacular and miraculous. Please don't misunderstand me. But I think the thing that changes my heart is when I sit in my chair and I hear God say, you know, Sam, I think you were ignoring your wife. I think you should go repent to her. And it's a quiet, calm voice that has a steady assurance in his voice. And so I think God really, I think God has an has a invitation. So my first reason that God speaks out of the still small voice instead of the spectacular is I think that's the way humans work. I would say the second reason is I think God likes us to seek him. And sometimes when we speak, seek the spectacular, we're, we're hoping for an emotional experience more than just to be touched by the hand and the heart and the tongue of God. So he wants us to seek him. I'm sorry for that long answer, Greg. I really appreciate your guidance. No, it, it's an appropriate answer, and I think it also puts things in perspective, and that is to recognize, too, that we serve a holy and righteous God. Amen. Um, Amen. That, I'm really serious. That, that, that sense of, and I think we've, we've, we've lost this in, in the modern day world, that, that sense of, for example, what it meant to be a priest to enter into the Holy of Holies. Right. right. And that tremendous sense of, of respect and reverence to realize that the priest was entering into the very presence of God. Uh, people forget that so much so, um, and, and Catholics listening will appreciate this, um, a bell is rung uh, during the consecration of the host uh, during Mass, and um, a bell was also um, uh, part of uh, what happened during the, the sacrifice that would take place inside of the Holy of Holies, and a rope was tied around the ankle of the priest. Absolutely. Should, should the priest be found with sin and God strike him dead as being unfit to be in his presence and to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel so that they could literally pull the priest out? Because if they went in there, they would be struck. Exactly right. So I think we've <laughs> lost that sense of, of, of awe in the presence of God and in realizing that 
God doesn't have to raise his voice to us. He is God. Well, and you know, the one time that God did handwriting on the wall, you know, we all talk about it, just what handwriting on the wall. The one time God wrote on the wall, the message basically was King Belshazzar, you're going to die tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I think I can live without handwriting on the wall tonight. You yeah, you're, you're right. And the other notion here, too, and I learned this years ago in, in debate, um, we have a tendency, human beings, uh, we saw this uh, just last night. You'll probably see it again on Sunday during the debates. As we're trying to, out of frustration, get our point across, we tend to think if we late raise our voices, you'll hear us. Yeah, right. And yet, exactly. I learned many, many years ago that if you really want to get the most important point across, don't raise your voice. Instead, lower your voice. And people will lean in and pay more attention. And I think perhaps God is using the same principle with us. He wants us to pay attention, to recognize who he is in the splendor and glory of all of his grace and righteousness and holiness. And realize that he does care. And not only does he care, not only does he want to hear from us, but he also wants us to hear from him as we engage in that that dialogue. Dialogue or that conversation, uh, as you call it in the title of the book, Samuel, so that in and through that, uh, we can not only recognize his voice, but also walk in a deeper level of fellowship and pure relationship with Tim that perhaps a lot of us have never, never taken it to that level, never really experienced. I agree with you completely. I, I, you know, Christianity is about relationship. And, and relationship, the heart and soul of relationship is really the normal life. It's, it's not, the spectacular's great. I, you know, don't, don't, don't deny me any of the spectacular. But the heart and soul of a relationship is just the normal, everyday, faithful talking and being together. And, and really, that's what makes life rich. And I think that's what God is inviting us into. I, I believe God wants us to hear his voice every day. Almost every day. There's there's times where he might be silent because he can't tell us something. But I, I really believe that God has something for us, and that as, as you're talking about, he wants us, he wants us to be able to enter into the holy of holies because the, the temple curtain was torn. That's right. So that we can enter back into a relationship with him that that was lost in the Garden of Eden. And, you know, we can probably talk to a lot of wives out there who would say their husbands never learn to listen, and perhaps vice versa. Uh, God, I think... Please don't call my wife. (laughs) She's online, too, you say? I'm sorry. Uh, I I think, though, that that we can also uh, learn a lot from that, that that God perhaps would observe that we've never learned to listen to him. We talk a lot about wanting to hear from God, but do we really want to hear from God? Do we want to not only be vulnerable at that level, but take the time to walk in the fellowship and to have the kind of of intimacy with God that he really wants, not only of us, but for us. It's a compelling read and can be a life-changing one for you. Hearing God in Conversation, How to Recognize His Voice Everywhere, newly published by Kriegel Publishers. You'll find it available, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through the usual suspects, Amazon.com. 
com and at Samuel's website, beliefsoftheheart.com. That's beliefsoftheheart.com. And our thanks to Samuel Williamson for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We've often, I think, on the topic of taxes as Americans, drawn the conclusion that historically it was things like the Boston Tea Party and the sense of taxation without representation that spurred the American Revolution and brought America to where she is today. My next guest, though, will suggest mm, not quite true. Played a role, to be sure. But in fact, instead of the revolution sparking, uh, sparked by high taxes, it would instead be outrage against British attempts to suppress God-given those so-called inalienable rights that we see articulated in the Constitution that we have today. Some insights now as we're joined by the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. He's also the author of 16 best-selling books. His latest is entitled By the Hand of Providence. How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. And Rod Gregg, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. Glad to be here. What headed you down this trajectory? I mean, obviously you've spent a lot of your life in the arena of, of looking at the Battle of Gettysburg in one of your books. You, you, you've been very much focused on the founding of our nation and, and the roots that we have. And, and I think, to be sure, most of us, certainly people listening to a program like this, see the faith-based roots of our nation. But to take it a step further now and, and suggest that as much as we've typically understood the American Revolution to be sparked by taxation without representation actually coming down to something a lot more valuable, quite frankly. Uh, this, this, I think, is some new news for folks. Well, I think it's uh, it's an old story that needs to be re- retold because it's been uh, neglected in our day and has been uh, largely forgotten uh, by uh, by our nation. But it it's really uh, goes to the heart of who we are and, and what we became as a nation. And the American Revolution was a faith-based revolution because Americans were a faith-based people, and that faith was a biblical one. So the things that you mentioned, uh, taxation, uh, lack of representation in Parliament, uh, events that uh, were somewhat of a catalyst like the Boston Tea Party, other protests, all those things were uh, had a role, and all of them uh, were kind of the dominoes falling, but uh, they were symptomatic of something deeper, and that is that the American people, is, as you put it well, um, the American people were, were biblical. The colonial American people and the Americans at the time of the Revolution were uh, biblically literate. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody was devout. You had the, the devout, you had the nominal, you had the uninterested. But the, the American thought at the time was uh, firmly founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, the culture was um, predominantly Protestant. It was overwhelmingly Christian, and it was almost universally Judeo-Christian in its approach. And that was the foundation of American culture, law, and government. So when these events occurred, these controversial events, over a period of time, increasing numbers of uh, Americans came to, to view King George III and Parliament as attempting to usurp the higher law of God and to uh, force the law of man instead. They saw them as uh, usurping 
what they called inalienable or God-given rights, rights to life, to liberty, to what they called the uh, the freedom to pursue happiness. And they came to view, eventually, uh, in great numbers, uh, King George III as a tyrant. That's why uh, American troops marched off to war in the Revolution under battle flags adorned with the ba- with the slogan that said, uh, "Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God." You you take the title of your new book by the hand of providence um, uh, from a quote from George Washington, um, and I think as we think of him as uh, you know one of the key founding fathers, uh, uh, the first president of the United States. Although was somebody in there actually for a couple of days or something? I forget all the details on that, but 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 widely recognized as the first president of the United States. Uh, as we see the role that he played, Valley Forge, all the way through the list. Give us some insights in terms of this man in particular and the the role that his faith played in taking the risks that he did in the founding of our nation. Well, and some people have made the, the case, uh, I think kind of a weak one, the case uh, in recent uh, years that the presidents of the Continental Congress uh, in those days before the Constitution, during the, the time of the Articles of Confederation, were in a sense presidents, but they were not president of the United States. Uh, Washington was the first it's it's really you really cannot overemphasize the influence of George Washington. Now, uh, the American Revolution was really taken forward by the American people. They're often overlooked, and the leaders reflected the worldview, the faith of the American people. So you had the American people, you had their leaders in the Continental Congress, and then you had uh, George Washington, who was really heads above all others. Um, and he was greatly influential in inspiring his officers and troops to stay in this uh, this movement, to stay in this revolution. And he also inspired the American people. And it wasn't because he was a good general, and he became a good general. He became a great strategist, a good tactician, but he grew into that. What inspired the American people about Washington was his character. And that character was based on his personal faith, and that faith was clearly biblical. And that faith. Talk, talk to me about your research in terms of the influence on that faith, on the decisions and the risks that he took personally um, in the American Revolution. Well, Washington was um, a, a low-church Anglican uh, who was uh, very serious about his faith, he was quiet about his faith. He wasn't the kind of man who would sit around, like Sam Adams, for instance, and and, and, and uh, engage or lead a dinnertime theological discussion. Uh, he was a low church Anglican. He was uh, he didn't speak in uh, the vernacular of a 21st century evangelical, although his doctrine, uh, personal doctrine that he believed as a as an Anglican, was certainly. Uh, uh, in in that category of being a historic evangelical um, orthodox Christian doctrine, he was certainly not a deist, as some have claimed. Uh, there were very few deists actually involved among uh, the American people and, and among the founders, their leaders. Uh, the um, the historian there was a historian uh, in the 20th century. Perry Miller spent his life studying the colonial era. He really was a great expert on American colonial uh, life in the colonial era. And he described it well. He said that deism was what he called an exotic plant 
that never took root in America because of the overwhelming influence of the biblical worldview, that Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, so a deist was one who, who believed in an impersonal God, almost like a force, uh, a force-type creator who uh, launched and jump-started his creation and then walked away from it. That's not the God that George Washington believed in. And uh, he was consistent in both his private writings, which were voluminous, and also in his, uh, his public statements, which were many, and consistent in expressing uh, that uh, faith, which was clearly, without question, a biblical faith. And so in, uh, in, in Washington's uh, decision-making uh, and the things he did, the things he didn't do, really governed by this. You look, for instance, um, he stands in real contrast to some of the leadership demonstrated by British commanders uh, who went into areas sometimes, uh, particularly in the South, where um, uh, they could have probably, had they handled the war right, could probably have... Uh, uh, Americans were all reluct generally reluctant revolutionaries, and the British in some areas could have uh, kindled a, a great deal of support, but their behavior, their conduct, uh, really alienated people, and it made uh, Americans in droves go over to the side of the patriot movement. Well, Washington was contrast to that in the way that he treated his enemies, the way he treated loyalist civilians. He made sure that they were not taken advantage of. He made sure that they weren't robbed and plundered like the British did. There was a real discipline there. He also uh, 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 routinely observed victories by holding worship services. Uh, he encouraged his troops to observe the national days of prayer that the Continental Congress called, and there were many of them during the Revolution. Uh, he at one time uh, urged his troops to conduct themselves in his words uh, and with their behavior as becoming a Christian soldier. Uh, he made sure that uh, the army was equipped with chaplains. He took that very seriously and encouraged his men to uh, to pick chaplains who were strong in their faith. Uh, so you see consistently through Washington's words and his behavior this character, and this character was reflection of his personal faith. If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Rod Gregg is with us. He, of course, is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. A new book entitled By the Hand of Providence, How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. We'll come back to more of our look at the role of faith in the founding of our nation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We have been investigating the faith-centered foundation of the American resistance as found inside the pages of this new book, By the Hand of Providence. By the way, for you homeschooling parents out there in particular, I mean, the book is great for anybody, but homeschooling parents... You're looking for a great book that can be a wonderful teaching tool. Uh, you're going to want to go out and pick up a copy of this. Howard is the publisher available to bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Those one or two still exist, am I right? I'm just checking. And, of course, through Amazon.com. Its author is with us tonight, Rod Gregg. Rod is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. By the way, a number of phenomenal books that he has penned down through the years, over 16 of them now all told, on topics of the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, Civil War, on and on the list goes. So check out anything uh, written by Rod. Again, G-R-A-G-G, -G, if you're going to 
Google his last name. Rod, it's curious. We talk about the notion oftentimes that, that some will report um, a number of the founding fathers as having been deists. I, and I find it curious because if we look at the actions of these men and the great risk that they took, the personal sacrifice, it, it would seem to me that it would take an individual of greater character um, and, and, and a sense of, of higher calling than just somebody who casually acknowledged the existence of deity out there. It seems to me that most of the actions of these men in the founding days of this nation were people that were willing to sacrifice for a greater good because they knew the God that they served. Well, that's exactly right. You have to remember when we talk about uh, the founding fathers, the leaders of the American people in the colonial era, time of the American Revolution, that um, they reflected also the worldview of the American people, or they wouldn't have been holding office. And the worldview of the American people, without question at that time, was a faith-based. It was the Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's no accident that the Declaration of Independence uh, begins with what it calls a uh, self-evident truth that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, namely life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the Declaration of Independence had to be acceptable to the American people who were going to live with it and in many cases going to die for it. And the signers knew that. And they knew they had to have biblical justification for something as big as an independence movement or a revolution. And so that's why the Declaration of Independence is laced with the language of faith. Half of it makes the case against King George III because Americans came to, to view him in great numbers, as did these crafters of the Declaration, as uh, a leader uh, who was unfit to be a ruler of free people because they had come to view him as a tyrant who wanted and intended to usurp the higher law of God and replace it with the law of man. And Americans, uh, being biblically literate, were very conscious of the whole biblical doctrine of submission to authority. And so they were reluctant revolutionaries. And not until uh, until the great numbers of them came to believe that uh, he was attempting to uh, usurp or take uh, authority over the higher law of God did they move into the ranks of uh, revolutionaries. And uh, they then came to view him and Parliament to a lesser degree as tyrants who were, uh, who were seeking to repress these inalienable or God-given rights, and they believed they had a biblical and moral duty to resist that. Now, as far as uh, the leaders and those who are deists, that really is something that has been uh, greatly exaggerated uh, in our day, and it really probably reflects more about... Uh, where American culture is today than it does the historical evidence of that. Time. Well, to be sure, I mean, the attempt, I think, too, to uh, to take God and faith out of the equation, to kind of neutralize America's stand historically on the position of faith uh, and, and kind of eradicate our faith-based roots. I mean, let's face it, if, if you can eliminate that at the foundation, it's much easier then to move forward in uh, not only creating a religion-neutral America, but in some corners even a religion religious hostile america well you know the great unreported story of our day uh, of the last uh, 50 years is the shift in the national consensus or the shift in the 
worldview of America's leadership from a historic, traditional uh, Judeo-Christian worldview that holds that God is the authority over all things and God should be the central focus of all things to a man-centered, secular, or humanistic worldview that says that man, not God, is the authority over all things and that man, not God, should be the center of all focus. And that's a seismic shift and, uh, and you know why it's, uh, it's having a trickle-down effect in the, in the American population. You can see uh, that the leadership in America in virtually all fields has really shifted in that direction in, in the field of uh, uh, business, uh, law, government, uh, entertainment, uh, the popular media, the culture, popular culture, the, the media, the news media, uh, movies, television, um, health care. It's shifted from this God-centered worldview to a man-centered worldview. And then when you have something like that happens, it means that those who are um, responsible for conveying information have uh, are uncomfortable with things of faith, particularly a biblical faith. They are um, uh, they don't understand it in some cases. Uh, they're uncomfortable with it. Sometimes they really resist it or even hostile to it. And so for those reasons, I think that the... Uh, the fundamental foundation of America's origins as a nation, which was faith-based, and that faith was the Judeo-Christian worldview, has um, has really uh, almost been uh, it's been neglected. It's uh, and, and it's to a point that most Americans today, or at least many Americans today, don't know the story. Yeah, and sadly enough, and of course the irony is we see the manner in which this is demonstrated, the results of which are demonstrated in society and the world around us every single day. I mean, look at the disintegration of what's going on in our country morally and economically. Uh, there's proof positive, and even more so than what ought to be a firmer drive to return back to the understanding of our faith-based roots, um, the, the, the acceptance of the reality that colonial America was built on a foundation of biblical faith and that any time you waver from it, you are going to be open for some pretty scary times, which we find ourselves in these days. By the hand of Providence, how faith shaped the American Revolution and hopefully will be the guide to the next one. That's my subtitle, my sub-subtitle. Uh, Rod Bragg, its author, our guest on this segment of Lifeline. Again, a number of great resources that Rod has penned down through the years for those interested in a real, legitimate view of the faith influence on the founding of our nation. Then, to again, for parents out there, homeschoolers, if you're looking for great teaching content, then, again, Google his name, Rod Gregg. You can find lots of great resources, too, all of which are available on the web and through Amazon.com by the hand of Providence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.